Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM. And AM 930, it's great to be with you another Wednesday evening, reflecting into this wonderful man, Pope Francis. As we do from one week to the next, we consider where Pope Francis is in the news, and we also take up his great exhortation on the new evangelization called The Joy of the Gospel. So as I typically have Bob Cross with me each and every Wednesday, he was unavailable uh, for this evening, so I will be flying solo. Again, as always, if you have any questions, comments, observations about the Catholic faith, about Pope Francis, uh, do not hesitate to email me at jholljmj at yahoo.com, uh, or you can go to my website at jaholcraft.org. Just hit the contact button there. There's a link to uh, my website, so don't hesitate to contact me. And if you are in the uh, international arena, I know there's a lot of listeners out there because of the podcast, the iTunes podcast. I would love to hear from you as well. I know I've gotten a few emails trickle in. I'd love to hear from from you and uh, maybe some things that you're thinking about as it relates to the Catholic faith, some questions you may have. Send them on my way. So uh, with that, before we jump into our subject matter this evening, I wanted to respond to a question I have talked about on this night and this evening, as well as other nights, the language of the new evangelization and speaking to it within the context of how we are called to evangelize the imagination. Hmm? And as I've explained it, I have received the question, Joe, can you talk more about what it means to evangelize the imagination, even maybe more specifically what would be the best and maybe more simple way to understand this idea of evangel- evangelizing the imagination? Well, what we must understand is that images in of themselves have a powerful way to provoke mind and heart to think about things differently. That's the power of an image. Even the word imagination, what is the root? Well, image. So we can begin to wonder and reflect based upon looking upon something. And when that thing is something beautiful, that beautiful image, that beautiful sculpture, that beautiful piece of art becomes a window into another reality. Such images have us reflect beyond the material. huh? And so this is why when we teach, this is why when we write, Uh, This is why when we catechize, we utilize images with the words that we say, because in them, in so many ways, we begin to reach deeper into the heart. We can think of it this way. (laughs) What does Satan do? You've heard me say this in the past. (laughs) Satan doesn't have anything in of himself. The best he can do is take what belongs to God plagiarize it, turn it upside down, hijack it, and present it to be something that it's not. This is why Satan is the father of lies, the great plagiarizer. What does he do? Oh, what is pornography? Do you know that the word in the Greek literally means a harlotry of art? It is to take something that is beautiful, something that belongs to God, to twist it, turn it, misshape it, misform it, and present it to be something that it's not. 
we could say in a kind of provocative way that Satan evangelizes man to his kingdom in and through art. And of course, as I just spoke to it, in abuse of art. All of these images which put an emphasis on the material, which put an emphasis on the flesh, all of these images we see today that seem to reject God are that that belong to the adversary. For further reflection in how the adversary works, let us turn to sacred scripture. Remember in Genesis 1:26, God created man in his image and in his likeness. And in this image, he created the male and female. What is Satan doing? Remember what happens in the Garden of Eden in those opening verses of chapter 3. Satan was subtle. The Hebrew word for subtle literally means to exploit nakedness in prostitution. In pornography, what Satan is doing is he's exploiting our nakedness. He's exploiting the ways in which we are called to image God. And he knows this most profoundly. When two become one in the conjugal embrace, there's very few things that image God in that way. So what does he want to do? He wants to uh, present that conjugal embrace within the sacrament of marriage as something that it is not. It is an abuse of its more authentic meaning. And as a footnote, I would just encourage you to go to Thursday nights and our treatment of theology of the body over the past few months to really get a deep understanding of what I'm talking about there. But for now, it's enough to say Satan is manipulating our understanding of the language of the body. That being said, as it relates to the more positive end of evangelizing the imagination, we are made to see how an image has the power to reach into our hearts and at once the beauty in the image stir something within us, a deeper sense of what it means to be fundamentally Christian, of what it means to live in God, of what it means to live in the God who is about truth, beauty, and goodness. What it means to say, I belong to God when a picture renders your heart Beating for God, our imaginations have been evangelized. Okay? Uh, this can come in the form of a sculpture. Just looking at maybe a sculpture of one um, St. Therese of Lisieux to just reflect upon the person of St. Therese of Lisieux and to be able to do so in a different way because you're looking at a sculpture of her. Or maybe it is, you know, the Sistine Chapel. And you're already looking up, right? And you're looking up into this incredible scene of creation, into this incredible scene of judgment. Wow, how powerful is that? So when we talk about this call we have to evangelize the imagination within the context of the new evangelization, it is to utilize such things as art, maybe by way of social media, to grab our attention, pull us in, so that we might be thinking and reflecting more critically about what that image is all about. It was a, a great tool for the ancient church, and I, I think to some degree we've lost some of this, and to some degree the new evangelization is about regaining it. But the, the ancient church used to utilize in so many forms, especially within liturgy, art, pictures, sculptures, uh, paintings, so as to draw the faithful Christian and faithful Catholic into worship in a much more profound way. Again, evangelize the imagination is about looking at ways in which we can make one another think, reflect, wonder more critically about the things yet to come. So with that, let us uh, jump into where we see Pope Francis in the news. Certainly uh, this past week, 
uh, there was a horrific event um, in the death of one by the name of James Foley on August 19th. Uh, the ISIS, as as we have come to know it, this militant Islamic state known as ISIS, a militant group that controls territory in Syria and Iraq, released a very graphic video entitled A Message to America that shows the beheading of Foley, who was abducted in Syria in 2012. U.S. officials have confirmed the authenticity of the video. Now, in a letter sent to the family of the U.S. journalist James Foley killed by ISIS last week, Pope Francis assured his closeness and prayed for reconciliation and peace throughout the world. The letter said this, The Holy Father, deeply saddened by the death of James Wright Foley, asks you kindly to convey his personal condolences and the assurance of his closeness and prayer to James' loved ones. Signed by Vatican Secretary of State, the letter was read aloud on Sunday during a memorial mass for Foley, which was held at the family's Catholic parish, Our Lady of the Holy Rosary Church in Rochester, New Hampshire. Uh, continuing letter states that Pope Francis commended James to the loving mercy of God our Father and joins all who mourn him in praying for an end to senseless violence and the dawn of reconciliation and peace among all the members of the human family. I think that to be quite powerful because when you think about it, the Pope has commended this man to the loving mercy of God our Father. That's a powerful, powerful mediation. Pope Francis also made a personal phone call to Foley's family offering his condolences, which was confirmed by Vatican spokesman Father Federico Lombardi. Now, it's interesting, as, as the news has been coming out on one uh, James Wright Foley, he was detained for six weeks in Libya in 2011. And then he talked about, and now as it has been reported, he wrote a letter to his alma mater, Marquette University, Catholic University in Wisconsin, revealing how he turned to prayer while being detained, specifically the rosary, and how the prayers of family and friends also gave him strength. He said this, I began to pray the rosary. It was what my mother and grandmother would have prayed. I said ten Hail Marys between each our father. It took a long time, almost an hour to count a hundred Hail Marys off on my knuckles. And it helped to keep my mind focused. When he was first allowed to call home after more than two weeks in captivity, Foley said his mother told him about the prayers others had offered up for him. And ultimately he said it was others' prayers strengthened me keeping me afloat. It's interesting, the news isn't reporting this, which is very sad to me. He would go on to say, if nothing else, prayer was the glue that enabled my freedom, an inner freedom first and later the miracle of being released during a war in which the regime had no real incentive to free us. According to one report outlet, Foley's parents have voiced a great deal of gratitude for the prayers offered for their son and the entire family. His mother said this, we thank God for the gift of Jim. We are so proud of him. She would go on to conclude, God has given us so many prayers. It's not difficult to find solace in this point in time. We know he is in God's hands and we know he's done God's work. We do though need the courage and prayers now to continue without him. What a witness, what a soldier for Christ. You know, when you listen to this story, one point after another is about what? Prayer. Pope Francis interceding 
on behalf of the family, uh, Pope Francis commending uh, this man, James Foley, to God, uh, the parents being so grateful for all the prayers of uh, intercession. I mean, if you think about it, this story very much, as tragic as it is, is about a community, the family of God coming together. And it becomes a beautiful witness to faith. I mean, I don't know about you, but when someone comes up to me, when I'm going through something difficult and they say, hey, Joe, I've been praying for you, it lifts my spirits. There is a tendency for us to forget the power of prayer. You know, Pope Francis last month called for a holy hour. And our local parish came together and did a beautiful holy hour. And not only do I believe in my faith that that prayer had an impact upon what he was calling us uh, to pray for, that was um, the end to the persecution of Christians, uh, not only do I believe that that has led to, to some good fruit, when I left that parish, I felt closer to my brothers and sisters in Christ. And that's what it's about. Uh, James Wright Foley's family feels closer to people they didn't even know before his death. And while it be a, a sacrifice that only a parent who has lost a child knows, it in this most profound way is a sharing in God's own fatherhood. How? Because God is a father who sacrificed his son for the unity of the world, right? And we should never forget that, as painful as that is. Um, and certainly it's not for us to go to a parent who lost a loved one and say, well, wow, I mean, you, you be okay with it because you're sharing in, in God's own fatherhood. We have to be careful how we, how we talk about this. But as I speak to it on air, as I speak to it um, to the airwaves, I just want to encourage you, um, the listener, to be present to this truth, especially within the context of how we are called to intercede for one another and be mindful that God's ways are not our ways, and he takes the worst thing and can make it the best thing. And of course, the cross is the icon of this. Romans 5.20, where sin arises, grace abounds all the more. And that is our confident assurance of what God tells us. Amen. So with that, let us turn our attention to uh, Pope Francis's great document on the new evangelization, The Joy of the Gospel. We will pick up where we left off, which I believe is paragraph 76. Here he's talking about uh, the importance of considering the contribution of the Church in today's world and to not let the, the, the sins of the Church and our sins weigh us down, but, but to be better than our worst. Uh, so, here we are, paragraph 76. This is Pope Francis. The contribution of the church in today's world is enormous. The pain and the shame we feel at the sins of some members of the church and at our own must never make us forget how many Christians are giving their lives in love. They help so many people to be healed or to die in peace and makeshift hospitals. They are present to those enslaved by different addictions in the poorest places on earth. They devote themselves to the education of children and young people. They take care of the elderly who have been forgotten by everyone else. They look for ways to communicate values in hostile environments. 
They are dedicated in many other ways to showing an immense love for humanity inspired by the God who became man. I am grateful for the beautiful example given to me by so many Christians who joyfully sacrifice their lives and their time. This witness comforts and sustains me in my own effort to overcome selfishness and to give more fully of myself. You know, this is the second time Pope Francis has placed this emphasis of not looking at all the bad stuff, but look at all the good. And should not the greatness of the good encourage us to be the best version of who God is calling us to be? We are to let others inspire us in our journey, to not let the sins of the world get us down, to encourage others to take ownership of their faith. Huh? I was in a conversation, I think I made note of this the other day, I was in a conversation, a number of conversations like this actually have come up recently, uh, about the priest scandal. Uh, There are a lot of people out there that are allowing the priest scandal of 2002 through 2007 to... Uh, to really affect affect their faith in God. And why do we allow that to happen? Well, on one level, I think for some people, it is a way to keep God at arm's distance. It's just an excuse. But for others, maybe we're not thinking about it critically enough, huh? If we look at the situation in the church today, particular to the priest scandal, and we say, well, based upon what happened in 2002, I'm going to be suspicious of every priest. What if you're a teacher? I mean, what does that look like? If you're to go to the numbers, what you'll find is the greatest percentage of individuals who've been found guilty in the courtroom as it relates to pedophilia are teachers. And oh, by the way, teachers who are married. Sometimes we point the finger at the celibacy of the Catholic priesthood, but in reality, it's, it's much more than celibacy. It's more about the absence of a healthy integration of our sexuality. I mean, if we are slipping into the aforementioned pornography we were talking about, we will be in an unhealthy sexual relationship. Now, as it relates to the the percentages and the numbers uh, that are very relevant to this whole discussion, it is, I believe, 14% of all cases are teachers. Now, does that mean that I am to be suspicious of every teacher out there? Is that fair? Is that logical? No. It boils down to this. We are to never allow other people's weaknesses to dictate how we are called to love and put our faith in God. Yes, people let us down, but God hasn't, and God does not hold grudges. So we need to be able to work through this, and this is what Pope Francis is encouraging us to do. Don't let the weight of sinful man bog you down. Rise up in the spirit of truth and God's grace and allow God to work in your life. Increase in prayer. Increase in faith. This is what it's about. Huh? Pope Francis wants us to see all of the good that is going on in the world and see that God is still working in our midst. Yes, we live in a culture where there's a great absence of love. People are driven by power. People are driven by prestige. People are driven by pleasure. People are driven by these things because there's an absence of faith. But again, 
Do not allow that person's weakness to dictate how you are called to love, how you are called to glorify God. This is a great challenge. But remember, every challenge calls us forth. Every challenge calls us out. And we will never attain the crown of the heavenly Jerusalem if we do not embrace and accept the challenges that God gives us. Because each and every challenge makes us better at what we do. If you are a parent out there, you should know what I'm talking about. Because every time you challenge your child to do this or that, what you're asking of them is to mature. What you're asking of them is to be a better son or daughter for God. And you know that working through whatever challenge you've given your child will strengthen them, make them better. And that's what we are about in our Christian faith. God presents situations before us, not to lead us away from him, but to draw us closer to him. Okay, with that, let us turn our attention back to the paragraphs themselves here in Joy of the Gospel, paragraph 77 and 78. Paragraph 77 really calls our attention to particular temptations which affect pastoral workers. And this is what he gets into uh, with paragraph 78, challenges that affect our missionary spirituality. So this is what he says in paragraph 78. Today we are seeing in many pastoral workers, including consecrated men and women, an inordinate concern for their personal freedom and relaxation, which leads them to see their work as a mere appendage to their life, as if it were not part of their very identity. At the same time, the spiritual life comes to be identified with a few religious exercises which can offer a certain comfort but which do not encourage encounter with others, engagement with the world, or a passion for evangelization. As a result, one can observe in many agents of evangelization, even though they pray, a heightened individualism, a crisis of identity, and a cooling of fervor. These are three evils which fuel one another. Whew, those are some strong words from a Holy Father. What is he saying here? Well, first, I want to take up uh, that first sentence that comes to us from paragraph 78, where he's talking about this inordinate concern for personal freedom and relaxation, which leads all pastoral workers to see their work as a mere appendage to their life, noting that this is also affecting consecrated religious. It's interesting, you know, if you were to go back into history, St. Basil the Great, and of course, this is picked up with St. Benedict, gives us the great aura et labora, prayer and labor. These twin towers, huh? contemplation and action. You cannot separate the task from the gift or the gift from the task. Huh? You cannot separate the spiritual works of mercy from the corporal works of mercy or vice versa. If we look at what we do separate from who we are, yeah, we will experience an identity crisis. And he is challenging all agents of evangelization. He's just not speaking to the priesthood. He's just not speaking uh, to women religious. No, he's calling all the lay faithful because the new evangelization concerns everyone. And so what he's telling us here in this paragraph is effectively avoid selfishness because it will lead to an absence of understanding who we are before God which in turn leads to a great deal of confusion. We no longer have direction in our life. 
This is what he's talking about, a crisis of identity. Who are we before God? If we don't know who we are, we're not going to understand the purpose-driven life that we are called to live. And if we are not entering into that, then certainly there will be a cooling of fervor. Our life will be saltless. It will not be life-giving. So paragraph 78 is interesting because I think here he really is challenging all of those who see themselves as working in God's vineyard. He's saying, be careful. Are you one who's more concerned about your personal freedom and relaxation as opposed to being obedient to God in your relationship with him and ultimately the work that he's calling you to? Do you see your work as a mere appendage to your life? as if it were not part of your very identity? He's asking all of us who were concerned about the church's vocation of conversion and mission to look in the mirror, take a long stare, and ask the question, are we giving everything that we have to what God is calling us to do? I love that phrase, a cooling of fervor. You have heard me talk a lot about the importance of those three principles of the new evangelization, ardor, methods, expression. Ardor's first because it's foundational. That fervor, that vigor, that life-giving, robust enthusiasm that comes out from that living relationship with the Holy Spirit. Remember what took place in uh, the Ascension, huh? In the account of the Ascension, Jesus promises his followers that they would receive the power of the Holy Spirit to bear witness to his saving love. In this passage, the term power comes from the Greek dunamis or dynamua. At Pentecost, spiritual dynamite went off as a sound came from heaven, as a sound came from heaven like the rush of a mighty wind. The sound here was like that of a thunderous clapping noise, echoing the fiery descent of God on Mount Sinai in the Exodus account. Another word used for power in sacred scripture is energia. The love we receive and the power of the Holy Spirit is like a force of energy, putting into motion the very life of God. What Satan wants to do is to put out this dynamite. He wants to put us to sleep. Because the last thing he wants is this force of energy putting into motion the very life of God. So let us take the power, like in dynamite, that we have received in the Holy Spirit and proclaim the potency of God's great love. Because it is in this power we will discover the true meaning of speaking and acting under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And above all else, we will rediscover what it means to be a son or daughter in God. This is what Pope Francis wants us to see in what he's talking about out from this paragraph 78. So let us remember that our work should never be an appendage to our life, but something that comes as a natural outgrowth to our love for God. Remember that great truth that we have spoken of on a number of occasions, that we are not human doings, but human beings. So what we do must always come out from a living relationship with Jesus Christ. Let our action come out from our contemplation. Let us close in prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. 
Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen, and God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 6.30 p.m. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.